Father, uh, we do look forward to our time with you. And, and God, I pray that as we uh, kind of look at some of the finishing touches and then next week, the finishing, finishing touches. But looking at the last pieces of armor as we know that we're in this battle. And Lord, I know that sometimes, sometimes we get, Lord, we get carried away and get into the flesh and start battling things that way. And God, if we just keep your word close to our hearts and understand, God, our battle is not against flesh and blood. So bless this time. Open up our hearts to receive. And Lord, this is we, as we, uh, Think about, especially these last couple pieces here, God, and every piece is important. But Lord, let it impact our lives and not just be something we read or even something we just agree with, but something that will change us and and move in our lives. So God, bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're coming down to, as I, as I was praying, the last two pieces of armor. And, and not that, listen, they're all important, right? The armor of God is important as we get ready. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes. But think about how they're all tied together. And, and we'll talk about that more. But then we had the shoes. And last week we looked at the shield and how they could lock those together and come together. And then this week we're going to look at uh, the helmet and the sword. And if I think of two that like are really, to me, really kind of important, protecting your heart and protecting your mind. Those are big, right? The, that, that breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ that we put on, and then the, the, tonight the helmet of salvation. So we just need to kind of, all right, I wanna, I wanna put this armor on. And here's what, I, here's what I like to think about. I think we should have this armor all the time but I also think we need to consciously put it on every day, that we're conscious that we are in this battle. Not that we take it off, but I don't think too many, I don't think too many military people like sleep in their, you know, their breastplate or their helmet or stuff. So some of that obviously you take off, but, but we need to remember this is stuff we have to have because we're in a battle. I was gonna write it down, I didn't write it down. Uh, I was studying and someone, John Bunyan who wrote I said John, right? Because I almost always say Paul. That's the ox guy, right? John. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote a, wrote a book called Holy War. I think I have a copy of that, and, and it's great. But his title, you know, the book's called The Holy War. And then the long title takes like 16 minutes to read. You know, it's, it's crazy. The, those thinkers back then, Man, they, they couldn't even do their titles on TED Talk, right? They couldn't even like get started because it would take forever and their whole title explained every nuance that they were trying to cover. But we are in a battle and we're in a war. So, hey, a couple good books to read, Pilgrim's Progress to understand, right? And to get, and then that holy war is another one. And hey, John Bunyan was really good with his allegory and the way he would put things together and get you to think through things. So having said that, then I do want to, before we begin, I want to quote, because this is a scripture that helps me. Second Corinthians chapter 10, you can write this down, I'll read it to you. Chapter 10, four and five. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then here's the big one, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
There it is, right? That kind of lets us understand. The majority of our warfare, I believe, is in the mind, is what we face and the things we face. And, and you know, it might be some mental things with discouragement and, and, and depression and those kind of things, deception, all of that. But it also might be, you know, just the things that the enemy would kind of throw at us. And, and so we need to understand, I believe, listen, I believe our heart is involved in salvation because we give our heart to Jesus, but I also believe our intellect is involved. And I think way too many people act like our intellect doesn't matter. Some people even say, you Christians, you just check your minds at the door. I think some of the greatest thinkers in the world are believers who think things through and, and, and bring things about. So having said that, listen, we got, we got this together now. Now he tells us in chapter six, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're going to look at those two items tonight and kind of wrap up all of the, the, uh, the armor. And then next week, next week we're going to look at, now i got to put it all together. Don't read ahead till after we're done. But listen, we're here. So here's the thing. The Roman soldier of that time, they would kind of have two different kinds of helmets. And they would have one that was just kind of a leather cap like if you remember the old old guy football guys the leather things they would have they would have that and they would use that you know not so much when they were in a big war maybe maybe more for sparring and stuff but then they had another one that was a big metal one and a lot of us seen the pictures right and it would kind of have plumage on them and they'd have that metal one and it'd come down over and down here and cover their temples and down and cover their nose and then down the back of their neck great protection and I think Paul, again, is looking at this soldier next to him going, yes. But notice what he calls it, the helmet of salvation. I think if the one thing can protect our minds, it's us knowing that we're saved. And I think it's important that we know we're saved. Not that we guess we're saved. Not that we hope we're saved. It always cracks me up when I talk to people, man, I hope I get to heaven. And when they tell me that, I go, man, I hope you do too. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for my sins. Because he paid the price. He bought me. And he gave me, check this out, eternal life. Do you know what eternal life is? It's life that's eternal. And so listen, man, that helmet of salvation protects that. And I think, listen, I think if anything, man, we get that on and we realize, wait, I'm saved. And I know I'm saved. And I'm walking with God and I have a relationship with God. Now, obviously, we have to build on that. But again, in 2 Corinthians, when we think about, when we think about what he said, take every thought captive. Does the enemy ever throw those thoughts at you like, seriously, you think you're saved? You should be a pastor. Man, he throws all kinds of stuff. And you're doing, you know, especially when you're doing dumb things, you know, he kind of lets you know, man, what if everybody was watching you right now? Well, I'm glad they're not. 
Just like all of us, right? All of us doesn't want everybody watching us all the time. So, man, but listen, he starts throwing things at you. And I wrote down some things because I think, I think these maybe these four things are the things that maybe sometimes hit us the hardest. Number one, I think the enemy, first and foremost, wants to divide our thinking. And he wants us to get in this division thing where I hear people say, well, this is my secular life and this is my spiritual life. Seriously? Like you should just have one life, it's called spiritual. You shouldn't divide things up and you, you shouldn't have, because here's what happens, then when you begin to compartmentalize, then you get into one compartment and you think it's okay in this compartment to act this way, then when I get in my church compartment, I'm all holy, no. And he gets us thinking, and then also for some of us, so he gets us to thinking about worldly things versus things that, that matter and spiritual things. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into the sword of the spirit. And then I think the biggest thing the enemy throws at us is deception. Remember in the Garden of Eden? Well, we weren't there, but remember if you've read your Bible, right? Some of you go, dude, you are old. <laughs> but if you read your Bible, remember what he did? He brought in that deception. Did God really say? Did he really say that? And he gets you thinking, and doesn't the enemy do that to us? Is that what that really means? Again, we're gonna look at the sword and spirit, and this is why we have to be good Bible scholars and, and good Bible readers, but listen, he throws that deceiving deception in there, and he, he throws that at us, and then I think probably the biggest of the biggest of the biggest that he throws at us is doubt. Man, that's a hard one to fight. And the biggest doubt I think he throws at us is, do you really think God loves you? You, not, I'm not saying you, I'm saying to me, right? You, of all people, you really think God loves you, Pat? And he starts throwing that, and that's hard. Isn't that hard to battle? Especially, especially when you're in a bad place. All of us get in dark places, right? Some of us get in darker places. But we all get in, I'm, I'm looking around and I see people who sin, sorry. And man, when we do that, he goes, really? Really, you think God loves you? And you have to remember, yeah, he does love me. How do I know? Jesus died on the cross. He died for my sins. So there's a doubt and then, and then the last one is discouragement. Any of you ever get discouraged as you walk with God? Does the enemy ever throw that in there? Oh, you've done all of this, and we've talked about it because in our, our modern culture of church in America, we have this whole transactional thing, so we think if we do this, God is bound to do that, and we get discouraged when he doesn't. Why are people walking away from the faith right now? Because they bought into that whole transactional thing and they think I did this and God didn't come through, therefore I'm gonna follow something else when they're following the wrong God to begin with. So you have that discouragement coming in. So listen, man, he does that. And then so how do we, how do we combat that? How do we fight that? We got those things, the enemy is like hard putting those things at us. How do we fight it? We put on the helmet of salvation. I'm a child of God. We sing that one song that, that, that kind of repeats that. I'm a child of God. 
God saved me, he redeemed me, Jesus Christ died for my sins, I belong to him. And if I walk in salvation, you know what? I can defeat all of those things, those four things coming, the division, the, dis- the, the doubting, the discouragement, the, the, the uh, depression coming on, all of those things. I can fight those, why? Because I'm saved. I think of for homework, if you haven't read it lately, which you should have, but for homework, read Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13 is when the spies go out, right? The 12 spies. I love that. I, lo- I just, I love going back to that story in my, in my office. I have a, a little gu- thing I bought from, from Israel that have Joshua, and I always call it Joshua and Caleb. I don't know if they were the two, but they have this stick with the grapes that hang all the way to the ground, and you just think, yes. Think about, think about that incident. 12 men, 12 men of Israel that have seen God do amazing things go in and spy out the land. They've gone through the plagues. They've walked through the Red Sea. They've had God do miracles. And then they go and spy out the land and 10 of them come back and go, we are in serious trouble. Two of them say this. What do they say? I'm gonna gonna kind of paraphrase. I'm gonna put it into what we're studying tonight. Here's what two of them come back and they go, hey, I'm saved and my God can take care of this. Yes. And they're so excited. And then we have the whole meeting of everybody. And there's only, listen, there's only four people out of, you know, a a couple million. There's only four people that go, we can do this. You know what that tells me? We're often going to be in the minority. We're often going to be where people are saying, man, you're a little bit wacko. And you can say, yeah, I'm more whack than you think. (laughs) But I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to walk through this. And I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation. And I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to go fight. I'm, not going, to, I'm going to fight that doubt. I'm going to fight that deception. I'm not going to let that come in. I'm not going to let Satan divide my heart when it comes to Jesus. And I'm going to put on my helmet of salvation. Man, I'm going to wear it tight. And I'm going to stay strong. So here's the thing. When the enemy comes to divide, here's what I, I want you to think about it because he's going to do that, especially after tonight. He comes to divide, here's what you need to say. Wait a minute, Jesus died for me. Right? Just keep that strong, man. That's a truth we know. When the enemy comes in to deceive you, what's your answer? Jesus died for me. When he comes in to throw that doubt, what are you gonna say? Jesus died for, you kinda get, you kinda get my pat answer? He's gonna come in, what are you gonna tell him? Wait a minute, Jesus died for me. And you keep that ever in front of you. That is the helmet of salvation. That is the strength we have. Now, listen, now the next thing we wanna look at is he says, and take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Yes. Hey, we need to be people. Hey, we don't need to just listen. We don't need to be people who talk about the word. We don't need to be those people, you know, who can take fabulous notes and get everything down. We need to be people who were of the word. That people would look at us and say, man, you really believe that book. I remember uh, reading years ago, I think it was, I can't think of his name. Whitfield, George Whitfield. 
So great evangelist, you know, in, in America in the 1700s, kind of a contemporary with the Wesley brothers, and Whitfield was in America. And there was a humanist called Hume who went to see him. And someone said to Hume, why would you go and listen to that man? You don't believe anything he says. And he goes, you're right, I don't believe a word he says. But he does. Mmm. Don't you wish people would say that about you? That you really believe the Bible? Hey, this whole sword of the spirit, I think is something that, listen, it's not just something that's osmosis. It's not just something that, that you know, don't, don't carry your Bible around like, a, you know, like something you're gonna thump people with or slice people with. He's talking about something, and here's an amazing thing. This is the only weapon that we have, the only armor we have that's offensive as much as it's defensive. It is defensive, but it's also offensive. Now, as Paul would look at that soldier, again, that soldier would have a big old honking sword, right, that you wanted to use so you could club the guy that had the helmet on, and you could dent that helmet, and then he'd be going like this, and then you could club him again, and you use it more as a club than, than slicing people, so they would have that. But then they would also have this little sword that was double-edged. It was more like a dagger, and they would pull that thing out, and that was when, you know, when hand-to-hand combat would get close, and up close and personal, and you'd just get the guy, and, and you'd get him, and it's over. That's what Paul's talking about. In Hebrews, we've been studying Hebrews, right? In Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, between, or even to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Hey, what is the thing that's going to guide our lives and direct our lives and check this out and never change? It's the word of God. I'm an emotional being, I think all of us are, according to my study of humanity. And we can be all over the place, emotional, guided by this and that, but when we're guided by the word, we have a solid standard in spite of what the world is trying to tell us, in spite of what the world is saying, we have this standard that we can live by and be guided by, and that is the thing, listen, that is the thing you're going to defeat the enemy. Again, not flesh and blood, but the enemy, the enemy of your souls is going to come and do that. So I wrote down, first of all, it's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So I think you gotta be spiritual to use the sword of the spirit, right? And I'm not talking about spiritual like, you know, some people think they're this, you know, God's gift to the church. I'm not talking about that kind of spiritual. I'm talking about you have to be born again. How are you gonna use something that's spiritual if you're not spiritual? And again, read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 to kind of get that whole picture of what Paul talks about there. But we have to be spiritual to use the word of God. How many of you ever read the word of God before you were saved? You don't have to raise your hands. If you read the word of God before you saved, what, did it, what was it? It was like, ugh, what am I reading? And then you get saved and you pick it up and you go, wow, this book changed. This is an amazing book, right? So again, you have to be spiritual. You're born of the Spirit. All of a sudden, the Word begins to, and again, I'm not saying we understand everything. I believe we're going to spend the rest of our lives and the rest of eternity learning about God and His Word. But hey, you start thinking, this thing makes sense. So you have to be spiritual. And then second, 
and I think this is the most important, and this is the dear, near and dear to my heart. You've got to use the word of God, ask the word of God, not magical incantations that you rip out of context and you have this cute little verse that you memorize that you're just spitting out. That's not the sword of the spirit. You've got to keep it within context. I was, I was looking at something this morning and, and there's a, this guy, there's this guy I really love him on YouTube, uh, Vody Buchan, I'm, I'm not sure how you say his name. I want to say Buchanan, but it's not Buchanan. It's spelled a little bit different. He is great to listen to. And so this other guy's interviewing him and he's like taking a word out of context, right? And it was perfect for, for tonight. So this guy's reading where David danced before uh, the Lord, right? When he brought the ark in. Most of us know that story, right? And David's dancing and having a ball and what's her face gets real upset. Micah, the wife, she gets all upset at him. But, and it says he danced in the linen ephod. So this other guy that's interviewing him asks Vody, hey, can you, can you, what does this verse mean? Tell me what it means and what it doesn't mean. And I love, man, in the beginning he goes, here's what it means, if you're gonna dance, you better wear linen. <laughs> I thought that was great, right? Because that's what some of us do, right? We kind of like take it totally out of context. And then again, should you dance in church? <laughs> and again, Vody goes, I don't care what you do, but you can't use this verse. The point was you can't rip a verse out of context to try and make it applicable for something you're trying to prove. And I love the way, and then I didn't get to finish it because Gaynell came in and I quit watching it and I don't know how it ended. I don't know if Vody, they were trying to get Vody to get up and dance and I was kind of excited about that. So I'll, I'll watch, I'll finish it tonight. But so often we do that. And if we're really honest, brothers and sisters, we all kind of do that. And I pray we have people around us that go, eh, you're kind of stretching that, aren't you? Kind of using a little bit of elasticity as you're bringing that verse out. We need to be careful. You want to have a sharp, two-edged sword? Then you have to keep it within context and what God meant. You know, a lot of times people in real estate will say location, 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 and people, Bible interpreters, say context, context, context. But it's not just repeating it three times. Listen, it's context within the paragraph that's being talked about, the chapter, whatever, but you can throw out chapters and verses and look at paragraphs. You gotta keep it within that context, then you have to keep it within context of the book, and then you have to keep it within context of Old Testament or New Testament. You gotta keep the context and keep that in mind of what's going on. So it, again, the two things we need to understand, we have to be spiritual to use the sword of the spirit. And again, I'm not talking about being a spiritual mama or a spiritual papa. I'm talking about you have to be born again. Secondly, you've gotta keep it in context. You can't just say, well, you know, it means this. So as we get ready for this battle, who better to learn from than Jesus, right? Go to Matthew chapter four. I told you to look, get there, right? Did you guys put your finger there? Okay, Matthew chapter four. Let's check that out. We're gonna come back here and wrap it up. But let's look at Matthew chapter four. I think a lot of us know what happens here, but I think it's important for us, what are we talking about? The sword of the spirit, the word of God. Using the word of God in a time where you can be powerful with it. And who do we war against? Principalities and powers, right? Not flesh and blood. So Jesus, 
It tells us, verse one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, now here's what I think is interesting. Number one, we don't, have, we don't have time to get all the way into this tonight, but it's interesting that the Spirit led Jesus into this. Because I think so often, listen, so often we get caught up in this, to me, kind of weird uh, spiritual warfare that we, we get in this place where, you know, we think everything's from the devil. The Spirit led Jesus into this. Kind of keep that in mind. And then you can get our teaching on Matthew to, to kind of wrap it up because I don't want to get way off track. But here he was. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and the tempter comes. And what does the tempter do? First of all, he tempts him where he's hurting the most, right? Right where he's in that physical area. And he comes to him in verse three. And it says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So listen, man, he's like, and technically, I don't think he's saying if. I think Satan's saying, since you're the son of God, do this. Could Jesus have done that? Sure. Wasn't a problem for him. But remember, he's having this battle not as God. He's having this battle as a man. Been fasting 40 days. The devil's always gonna hit you where you can be tempted. I've said many times, like if I go to the bank, I don't break into a cold sweat and stuff worrying I'm gonna rob the bank. And Satan never tempts me. When I'm in a bank, he never says, hey, Pat, why don't you rob this place, man? You know how much money you could get? I'm just not tempted that way. He does tempt me, but not that way, and it's none of your business how. But he's gonna, listen, he tempts us where we're weak and where we're vulnerable. Jesus was definitely weak and vulnerable physically here, right? And what does Jesus, listen, how does Jesus battle him? Check this out, verse four, but he answered and said, it is written, it is written, three times he's gonna say, it is written, and guess what? I can do this without even reading them. Guess what he quotes all three times? The book of Deuteronomy. Hmm, how many of you have that little weapon in your storehouse? <laughs> like a lot of us go, oh, I don't like reading. We just finished Deuteronomy. Some of you are so glad. You're so glad we're out of that. And yet Jesus uses that in this temptation. You gotta think about this. Hey, you need the whole counsel of God, not just the parts that are fun and exciting, not just the historical parts. You gotta dig into some of these parts. So now back to this. So Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter eight. So when he battles, right, what are we on? We're in a spiritual warfare. What does Jesus have on? I'm sure, listen, I'm sure he's got the belt of truth on. I'm sure he has a breastplate of righteousness on. I'm sure he's got those shoes on. I'm sure he's got that shield up. And I'm sure, listen, that helmet is on. And so is the sword, and it's ready. And he's like, right up close and personal, just jab it in there. And he says, hey, it is written. It's not about my physical needs. It's about me honoring my God. Kind of keep that in mind, right? And so he lays that out. 
Then the devil said to him, and or took him up on the holy up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So now he's quoting, listen, he's quoting Psalms. Do you guys know that the devil knows the Bible? The devil knows the Bible better probably than most of us know the Bible. Now he will rip it out of context. He will do whatever it takes to twist it and manipulate it to get you messed up. So what does that mean? You gotta know the Bible better, right? You gotta know, hey, you gotta know the correct interpretation in order to discover the counterfeit. When he starts throwing that at you, you've gotta know your word. And hey, right there, man, I don't know about you guys, but right there, wouldn't you be tempted to go, okay, I'll show you. The cool thing is Jesus could have flown, right? He could have just down around and come back up and landed on right next to him and say, how's that, buddy? But what does he do? Again, he gives him scripture, right? Jesus says to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter six. Hmm. Wow. You just kind of read that and you're going, and, and don't you get the idea that in, in my mind, Satan's like all agitated and trying to make it happen, and Jesus is kind of kicked back, casual. He throws the first one at him. Jesus goes, well, you know, it is written, man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. And now he gets more agitated. He says, come on, man, throw yourself down. He'll take care of you. He's even given charge. Don't you know the Psalms? And I just look at Jesus, and he's just kind of kicked back. Well, it's also written, bro, that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Are you kind of getting the idea? Listen, it's much more than just parroting Scripture. It's living Scripture. And the only way you're going to live Scripture is by getting the Scripture in you. You can't, when I did some missionary work and we hiked into places and went different places, and, and especially when we would hike in and have to camp on the way in, I would use my Bible for my pillow because it just kind of worked, Right? And I didn't have a big, you know, I was wishing at that point I had the big family Bible, right? Because it'd make a better pillow. But I had a smaller one. And, and Eric used to always see something and he'd go, dude, it's not going to get in you that way. <laughs> but listen, some of us live our life that way. Some of you here tonight, the only time you're opening your Bible is when you're in this building. Even though you have it on your phone, you don't even, don't even bother to read it on your phone. And we need to understand, listen, that's not going to get you through in the battle. When the enemy comes and tempts you, you're probably going to fall for it and you're gonna blow it. So keep that in mind, listen. And so I love this, listen, I love when Jesus just goes, dude, no, I don't think so. And then what is the last one? Verse eight. Oh, we did that, right? No. Verse eight. 
Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. Thank you guys for paying attention. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Wow. There's some power. That's a, like a big power struggle, right? Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you or I shall worship the Lord my God and him only I shall serve. I kind of changed that a little bit, right? Deuteronomy chapter six. Are you getting the idea? Listen, Jesus, again, isn't just quoting scripture. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. And once again, it's not about, it's not about you know, holiness, uh, you know, a sense of false holiness or self-righteousness. It's a, this thing, I read the word of God, I'm gonna believe the word of God, and I'm gonna live out the word of God, and it's going to be the guide and the truth for my life, and that's what I'm gonna do. Now, listen, I know a lot of us are going, but that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I get you're not Jesus. I understand that. Some of you think you're Jesus when you're judging other people, but I get you're not Jesus. But don't you have the sword of the Spirit at your disposal? Hmm. Didn't he give us his word? Didn't he give us his Holy Spirit so his word makes sense to us? So it's not just a bunch of convoluted stories and, and things going on, but, but there's some, some uh, 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 cohesiveness to it, and it comes together, and, and hey, people in the world pick on the Bible all the time. Well, don't you know, blah, 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 and it's because they're not spiritual. You and I are spiritual, and we should take the word of God, and that's why here at our fellowship, we constantly encourage you, read through the Bible every year. I remember when I was a new believer, I was a fairly new believer, and got involved in ministry, doing this stuff in Mexico. We got involved in the Jesus movie and got it, got it translated into uh, the group there, the Tarahumaras we were working with. We got this whole narration done and I was so excited and, and, and fairly new and I remember uh, uh, somebody that I knew got together some Christians from another church, a bunch of believers. Hey, you can show this movie and maybe they can help you, know, help you guys out some or whatever. And I just wanted to show the Jesus movie. I didn't care. And, and so I remember I queued it up and I said, now this is from the Gospel of Luke. So if you know the Gospel of Luke, you, can, you, don't, even know the, you don't even need to know the language. You know. And I remember there was an older guy who was an elder in that church and here's what he said. Oh, I read Luke once. I'm a brand new believer. I'm going, what? And then I proceeded to tell him that he was failing miserably as a believer. You read the book of Luke once? Come on. Saints, we need to be in it all the time. If it's gonna get in your heart, you need to be in the word of God. If there's anything that I would be kind of legalistic and dogmatic about, and if I could make it a rule to come to Calvary Chapel, it would be the rule number one, you have to read your Bible every year. I would do that, but the guys won't let me. But I think, listen, I think that's some, get the word in you. How are you gonna battle Satan when he comes and misquotes scripture if you don't know scripture? He's gonna make it sound good. He's gonna make it sound palatable and you're gonna drink it in. So Jesus, again, quotes scripture to him and then check this out in Luke, in Luke chapter four, interesting. In Luke chapter four, it says, now when the devil had ended the, uh, every temptation, he departed from him 
until an opportune time. When was that opportune time? Most of us know, right? When was that opportune time? There was another garden, right? This is a wilderness, but Jesus was in a garden, and he shows up, and who won that battle? Jesus. Again, not just because he's God, but because he stood on the word of God and trusted God for everything. So you and I, listen, you and I need to do that. Now back, back to Ephesians. It says we have this word of God that's a sword of the spirit. And again, you don't just memorize. Is memorizing scripture good? Yes. It helps you internalize it. But if you're just memorizing to parrot it, it does you no good. You gotta memorize it to internal, to get it inside of you, to get it going. I think one of the greatest compliments anybody could ever receive is, wow, it's like you're living out the Bible. Thank you. I had a good friend that I went to Bible college with, in my mind, some may wanna argue with me, but he kinda strayed and got into, got into some hardcore Calvinism and, and I was talking with him and I challenged him with some scripture because I thought he needed to be challenged with scripture. And I'll never forget one of the greatest compliments I ever got. Man, he was so mad at me. He was angry. He wanted to push me out of his car on the, on the freeway in California. I'm just gonna push you out on the street. I go, no, you're not. I got my seatbelt on. So, now you're gonna push me out right now. And then he says, you, you're just aggravating me. And I'm thinking, he's gonna wreck while we're here. And then he looked at me and he goes, you, you know what? You're, you, you, you're just a biblicist. I went, oh, thank you. Are you gonna believe what the Bible says or are you gonna believe what somebody says what the Bible says? Now listen, I think we have to have teachers and godly teachers. It tells us that. But are you going to take the word and not just, listen, not just parrot it, but you're gonna flesh it out and you're gonna use it, you're gonna internalize it where you can have a good, intelligent discussion with somebody who doesn't believe the Bible, but you can use the Bible and let them know that you have confidence in that even if they don't. Hey, if people don't want to believe the truth, that's on them. Doesn't make the truth any less true. And we need to understand that. So Jesus, now, I'm sorry, here, here we're with this whole thing. The devil is going to come and he's going to try and give us that false peace and that false hope and he's gonna cause doubting in our hearts. So you and I need to know I'm not doing that. I quoted this. Listen, when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, here's what Jesus was saying. I'm not gonna live by bread alone. I'm not gonna do that. The material realm is not going to have priority over me. Think about that in your life and where you're at. When Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, here's what he was saying. I'm not going to do it because the word forbids it. Have you ever drawn lines in your life where you've decided, here's what the word says, I'm staying away from that. I'm not getting near that. Right now, I think a lot of us, here's what we do, and our culture is pushing us that way, and I get it. We get as close to sin without sinning. Stop it. Get far away from it. Hide from it. It's going to destroy you. Then, when Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, here's what he was saying. I will serve my Father and him alone. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. The word of God needs for you and I, we need to let Satan and anybody else know it's the word of God and therefore I am going to do it. Isn't that what Jesus was saying? Here's the word of God, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not gonna do what you're asking me to do. I'm not gonna go your direction. So now, listen, now we got all the armor, right? 
we got it all put on. Hopefully you guys are, are like digging in and doing a little bit more on your own, but you got all of this armor. Now how do we work it all together? That's next week. And we bring it all together and we function as believers in Jesus Christ. When I think of the sword of the spirit, I think you gotta, you gotta be skillful to handle that. You know when I got drafted, they took me in and I, I've commented, they change you and, and basic training was basically brainwashing. They change you from being a civilian to being a soldier to function as a unit to do those things and I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm saying that's what they have to do in order to be successful at what they're doing. But you know where we spent the longest period of time? On the rifle range. Why? We needed to know how to handle our weapons. And we needed to be good with our weapon. Otherwise, that weapon was gonna do you no good. And that's where we spent the majority of our time. Christian, where are you spending the majority of your time? Are you good with your weapon? You know what you're doing? I've had discussions with people. Sometimes I'll tell people, especially if people come to me and they start saying, the Bible's false, the Bible's not this. I will tell them, I've had now almost 30 years of teaching the Bible, not just reading the Bible, teaching the Bible. So here's what I'll tell them. And you want to have that argument with me? Let's go. I'm ready. And you and I all should be that way. I've been reading the Bible for 30 years. I've been doing this. And I'll talk to you about it. I'm not afraid. You're not gonna make me afraid and you're not gonna make me doubt the word of God. It always cracks me up when a, Satan comes up with something new and somebody will go, hey, did you see this thing on, you know, whatever, YouTube or Discovery Channel or National Geographic or whatever. And I'm going, why would you watch? Number one, if you watch it, why don't you? I don't watch those things because I'll break my TV. Because <laughs> I'll hit it. It's like, come on. It's like, listen. This thing is true, it's real. We have more evidence for this, we've talked about it, than any other historical writing, come on. Man, when people do that, they're just talking out their ear, they don't know what they're talking about, and you need to tell them that. What are you, just parroting something some professor told you, and you sound so intellectual, oh, you're so smart. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with me. Now let's look at facts. And saints, we never have to back down. I remember, I remember even when I first got saved, right before that, and I think a lot of this was at the turn of the century, but they were still battling it. The whole thing about Pontius Pilate. They had no record of Pontius Pilate. And everybody would say, see, the Bible's wrong. And most of us know the story, especially if you've been to Israel, right? You guys have seen the rock that they picked out of the ground, this rock that says, Pontius Pilate, governor, of Judea, oh, he did exist. And all you have to know is, listen, when people question the Bible, here's what you need to know. Someday, a pickaxe in the Middle East is going to hit a rock, and they're gonna pull it out, and they're gonna prove the Bible is true. Do you know they've never found any archeological evidence to disprove the Bible? But every bit of evidence they find substantiates the Bible? Huh, huh, why should we worry? So, let's get our armor on. Let's get that sword, especially that. Just get in there tight and just take care of that. You might have to do it twice. But take care of it and get it done. 
and know your word. Know that you're saved. I would ask you if you're saved tonight, but I, I, I'm looking around. I think most of you would, would stand up and dance and rejoice. Well, I don't know if you dance. But listen, if you're saved, know it. Live it. Believe it. Trust it. Let that helmet sit on your head. And then grab that sword. Let's go to war. Again, not against flesh and blood. Too many of us get caught up in that. Quit doing that. Go against the enemy. Go where it really counts. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I, I do thank you. I thank you for this challenge. Just as we look at Ephesians, and I think again as Paul is there being challenged by those who are around him. He's in jail. He's incarcerated, more than likely chained up to a wall or chained up to a Roman soldier, keeping trap of him, keeping tabs on him, making sure that he's not doing things, quote, he's not supposed to. And here's what blows my mind the most. He's writing a letter. And God, thank you for empowering him. I just get that picture of him looking at that soldier and then writing a little bit and then looking at soldier writing a little bit more. And we have, listen, we have this perfect picture of the armor of God so we can fight the fight, God, and we can be victorious in that fight. And I thank you that it doesn't depend solely on us. Lord, I know, I know Hey, if I'm gonna wield the sword, I gotta have some part in it, but it's your word. I know if I'm gonna believe I'm saved, I gotta have some part of it, but it's you who saves me. God, if I'm gonna hold up that shield of faith, my faith is in you and in my God. If I'm gonna put on that breastplate of righteousness, it's your righteousness, the gospel of peace is, is your gospel, the belt of truth is your truth. Lord, all of those things belong to you but as believers, we get to wear them and we get to use them in this battle that we're in. So I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing here right now that our hearts would be prepared for battle and God, that we would know, just as we sang in a couple of those songs tonight, that God, number one, the battle belongs to you. Number two, you are already victorious and that we would walk in that. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And you know what, if you are here tonight and you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, you've never asked him to come into your life to give you salvation, tonight is the night to do that. Call on his name, the Bible says, and you will be saved. And all you have to do is admit to God you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard for anybody, listen. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. So we need, uh, most of us know that. I don't have to harp on that. But you gotta admit to God that you know that. And then once you let him know you, you've sinned, in your heart there has to be some, some regret. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. That I've offended a holy God. And as that begins to settle in your heart, then you can cry out and ask him to save you. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He will save you. He will redeem you right now, right here in this place. 
and you can be born again. So if you want to do that, I'll lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently, but it's got to come from your heart. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. Let him know that you're ready to come home, that you want to come home. If you're watching online tonight, and you just kind of tuned in, and it's hard for you to get here for whatever reason, and God has touched your heart, man, you can say the prayer right there. You don't have to be in this building. Once again, you can say this prayer with me out loud, or you can say it silently, but your heart has to be sincere. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And tonight I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and change me. I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior right now.